Another important point about 1031 exchanges is some people will think, oh, I'm not going to 1031 exchange because I'm going to have to pay the tax anyway. And it's actually cheaper for me right now to pay the tax than it will be down the road. And it's not necessarily the case. You can actually continue to 1031 exchange until you pass and your heirs will inherit the property at a stepped up cost basis, which means that capital gains will be forgiven indefinitely. And so the common tactic is you, you utilize the 1031 exchange, you are an active investor, you transition towards more passive products, and then after that, your heirs can inherit at a stepped up basis, you don't pay the tax, and they can sell and do what they want at that point. Welcome to the Apartment Investing Journey, where we explore every facet of multifamily investing and development with top investors, brokers, and service providers who share their strategies, successes, and secrets to help you on your apartment investing journey. Hey guys, David Robinson here with the Apartment Investing Journey. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited about our guest today. Nate Levitt is joining us on the call and is going to talk to us a little bit more in depth about 1031 exchanges. We had a previous guest, Trent Hendry, that came on and he gave us some insight. And I think Nate is going to be able to add to that conversation. So I'm excited to have Nate on. Nate, welcome to the show. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. A little bit about Nate. Nate first began or first became interested in the 1031 industry from a young age and began working with his father in the space right after graduating from high school. Years later, he and his father are now in business together and provide 1031 intermediary and advisory services. In an industry that is overly fragmented, they're able to provide a higher level of service to clients by blending 1031 intermediary services with replacement property advisory services. In addition to helping provide clients with a clear understanding of the 1031 landscape, Nate also operates as a TIC, Tenants in Common Sponsor which provides 1031 investors that seek passive investment options with investment grade properties that feature a minimum investment as low as $100,000. So that's just a little bit about Nate, but Nate, maybe you can back up, fill in the holes, tell us a little bit about how you got into working with your dad, how you got into the 1031 space and what 1031 exchange place is all about today. Yeah, sure. So I don't really remember why I became interested in what my dad was doing. My dad has been an entrepreneur in the financial space my whole life. And I really just think it you know, it was over dinner table conversations and whatnot. I do remember being interested in, in getting updates on how things are going at work and what was happening at work. And I uh, got my real estate license right after high school and, you know, started cutting my teeth and getting familiar with the space. And, you know, I left subsequently for a couple of years and came back and joined up with him again and, and began working with him up until, you know, the recession. 1031s are hit really hard in 2008, 2009. There was nothing happening. So at that point, we actually, you know, closed up shop as far as what we were doing, went off into other endeavors, and then in recent years, regrouped and, and said, hey, 1031 market is back. It's as vibrant or more vibrant than it even was before and uh, felt that we could provide value again in these current conditions. And so we've been working together and in, in rebuilding uh, what he had going before. And this time with, on my end, a lot more experience and various things in, in between. So now with uh, we have two businesses. One is the 1031 Exchange Place, where, like you mentioned, we offer advisory services. And in, recently, we've 
We do that through our affiliate in San Francisco. They have vast experience. Between all of us, there's over 100 years in 1031 exchange experience. And uh, the individual over there has been doing it for 40 years. And so what we found is by combining all these services, it really provides a better service to the client because 1031 exchanges are really kind of a unique niche industry that's in between spaces. It's in between your real estate agent, in between your CPA or your attorney. And so oftentimes what happens is it leads to real lack of information out there with investors, the real lack of information out there, even with agents, because they may not come across it a lot. There's also a lot of misinformation out there. So what we found is that typically a normal scenario is that you do an exchange, you use an intermediary, it may be a, a subsidiary of your title company or something like that, but you use an intermediary and, and they pretty much help you facilitate the exchange and, and that's it. But what happens is because there's so many people in exchanges that are, you know, baby boomers now that are nearing or in retirement age, they're transitioning. A lot of them are transitioning out from multifamily properties because they're saying, hey, I'm 70 years old now and uh, I don't want to deal with the, the tenants and the toilets or anything anymore. So they're transitioning towards maybe passive options. And, and so we find that so many exchangers, A, come into the scenario uh, really with a lot of anxiety, not really understanding the process of a 1031 exchange and what their options are. And so what we've done is we've really tried to put together services that take a holistic approach to really help people understand where they're at and uh, the process and what their options are so that they can honestly just be a lot more composed and reduce the stress in the process. Because it's making big decisions in real estate can be stressful enough, let alone if you have a ticking clock that, you know, many people aren't used to. So in a nutshell, it's our approach is just trying to, to really provide a better service by combining both sides of the transaction. Yeah, I think you guys fill a void in the market and in the professional services that surround 1031 Exchange. Uh, like you mentioned, yeah. you know, real estate agents have a, a, a basic understanding and they may have thoughts and opinions and may even be giving misinformation unknowingly. And then you yeah. have the attorneys and the CPAs. And sometimes it can be a confusing space for people because they're getting different perspectives based upon that professional's experience and, and their own bias on how things should be done. They don't even know who to ask either. That's the hard thing is, you know, they come into this and they may have heard of it one way or another, and they're not even really sure, should they, you know, is it their agent they should be looking to, or is it someone else or the financial advisor, or who is it mm -hmm. that should be answering the question? So oftentimes you'll get, they'll get bits and pieces from different people and <laughs> they're not really sure what to take to the bank. Yeah. Your most common client that starts to work with you how do they generally start the process with you? And at what stage are they connecting with you in determining whether or not a 1031 is right for them? I mean, in general, I'm sure it varies dramatically from client to client. Oh, man, yeah, it really is all over. And again, it comes down to that lack of knowledge or perspective. So we get calls every day where it's, you know, maybe even before you'll get people that are planning far ahead. So it may be before they even have their property under contract that they're selling. And we talk to people that they're closing today and they're like, uh, I just found out about exchange and I actually need to get it set up ahead of time. 
We talk to people often that are actually after they've sold their property and they think that they can still set up the exchange or they found out about it after and they're seeing if there's any way to save from paying the taxes. And so honestly, it's pretty evenly spread every stage we're talking to people. And I guess the next part of that is they're often wanting to know, well, when when do we get a, a hold of you? When is the right time? Right. And usually what I tell people is if you're in a, t- a normal transaction where you're selling your property first and then you're going to invest the proceeds in a replacement property, you're doing a regular forward exchange. I typically tell people a week before closing is enough time for us and your escrow officer, your title company, where no one's rushed. And it gives us plenty of time because we all know that in real estate, closing dates get pushed. So ultimately a week before closing is is plenty of time. Now there are reverse exchanges and improvement exchanges and things like that. There's different ways you can do it. And with those, more time is sometimes better. But for most exchanges, a week is plenty of time. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So a week prior to selling their existing asset. Correct. Okay. A couple questions for you. Uh, What are some of the most common misconceptions you run into when advising investors that are looking to do a 1031 exchange? Good question. There's a few. I'd say one that I always make sure people are aware of is a lot of people think that they can just reinvest the cash from their sale. So let's say I own a a duplex. I sell it for 200. I owe 100,000 that's paid off at closing. A lot of people think that I can just roll that 100,000 back into the exchange. But in fact, in order to do a full deferral, you're going to need to replace essentially your sales price minus your commission and closing costs. And so you'll have to replace the value of that mortgage. Now that can be with new cash or with, with new debt, but you cannot just invest that cash. For a simple example, then you're saying that you have a $200,000 property, you have $100,000 of equity in it. You right. can't just buy a replacement property for $100,000, you have to buy a replacement property for $200,000. Minus commission closing costs, but essentially that $200,000. You're exactly right. Okay. So that comes as a surprise to some people. Another thing is we get questions about like kind. You know, they say, well, I'm selling this type of property, you know, maybe a rental home. So I need to buy a rental home. That's not necessarily the case. So like kind refers to the intent of the use, which is Essentially, if you're using it for business or investment purposes, you can buy another property that you're going to use for business or investment purposes. So that can cross asset classes. Along with that, something that seems counterintuitive, but there are some parties that don't qualify for exchanges. And some of them seem like they'd be the very ones that would. Home flippers are an example. So some people think, hey, I'm flipping homes. I can do the 1031 exchange into my next flip. And I wish it were the case. It seems logical. um, (laughs) but that's been precluded from doing exchanges. Uh, I think they didn't want to give away the whole cake. So that's a common one. There's more, but I mean, I'd say those are a couple of the more common things that we get on a week-to-week basis. What would you say are the biggest mistakes that investors make or even agents, CPAs, and attorneys that are advising their clients? What are some of the biggest mistakes you see being made when working through a 1031? First, I would say is taking the timeline seriously. Sometimes you'll get people that they don't take that 45 days uh, very seriously. And what I mean by that is that they're under the impression that's a lot of time, you know, to find property and to, you know, make their selection. Okay. So 
With the 1031 exchange, you can identify up to three properties of any value or any number of properties, as long as their total value doesn't exceed 200% of the value of your exchange. So using that same example, let's say you're in that $200,000 exchange, you can identify any number up to $400,000 in total value. But here's the thing, you have 45 days to identify, and after that 45 days, whatever you've identified last, that's those are your choices. So if after that, let's say you've identified three properties and you don't have any of them under contract, you're in a dicey situation because let's say your mm-hmm. your primary gets, let's say someone ties it up, you know, you're left to two. So I always, always, always tell people, no matter what stage they call me in, I always let them know the more you can do early on, the better. So the more due diligence you need to first identify your objectives. What are your objectives in your exchange? And not even just in your exchange, but in the long run, you know, what are you trying to accomplish now and in the next 10 years? identify that and and how is this 1031 or not doing a 1031 going to serve, you know, your objectives. And then once you've identified that, if 1031 exchange is in your best interest, which it often is, then figure out what real estate is going to do that and start looking. (laughs) There'd be worse things than to get stuff under contract before you've even sold your property. Because once you go past that 45 days, you're limited to those options and you want to feel good about them. We don't want you paying the tax when it comes down to it. Yeah. You mentioned a reverse 1031 earlier, which is an interesting concept. And if I understand it correctly, it is possible, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on this, to acquire or at least contract to purchase uh, another property and then still complete an exchange. Is that correct? You can. It's a bit more expensive and it's a bit more of a process. But you can, you know, let's say that the worry is, man, I'm really particular and I know exactly what I want and I don't want anything but that. And I don't think that I could find that in 45 days. So they want to do a reverse exchange. Well, you do have the ability to buy your replacement property first. Now, much like a forward exchange, you need to get your exchange set up ahead of time and and get everything in place properly ahead of time. And we probably don't have the time to get in the, the nitty gritty and how it happens, but essentially You'd buy that replacement property first. You'd have similar timelines on the back end to sell your property and identify the properties you're going to sell. And then the proceeds from that sale would be applied to the property that you acquired. So you would need to have the means to be able to make that acquisition first without using the proceeds initially. Would it still be considered a reverse 1031 exchange? Let's say that someone, I'm not sure that that's a valid uh, scenario. I was going to ask about uh, someone contracting to buy their replacement property, not closing on it. I can't imagine that there's any problem with that. I'm sure that would be fairly easy and it would be a standard exchange, correct? Right. Yeah. You can get things under contract. That's just fine. It's actual closing where, yep. Okay. All right, cool. This is helpful. Any other mistakes that you're seeing investors make or agents make when advising clients? The same with CPAs and attorneys. I think what I would stress is the burden is ultimately on the taxpayer. It's on the investor. Because even if you have a CPA, I have a call that's quite poignant. A guy in Florida, he had already sold the property. He had mentioned talking to his CPA multiple times before selling to make sure that there wasn't something that he should do so he didn't get hit in taxes. Well, he was paying six figures in taxes now, even after consulting his CPA. And so unfortunately, 
regardless if you have an agent, a CPA, no matter who you have in your corner, ultimately, I would suggest that the investor feel confident in the answers that they're getting because ultimately, there's a lot of different tax law and things like that that their CPA may not be versed in. You know, 1031 is pretty niche. So it may not be something that they come into all the time. So the biggest thing is I would say consult a tax attorney. If you're considering paying the taxes, make sure you understand at least what you're looking at tax-wise. A suggestion I would make is be skeptical. Don't take all answers at face value because ultimately it's going to be you paying the tax and you want to have confidence in the answers you're getting. So maybe get a second opinion if, if you're not absolutely confident in the answers you're getting. Yeah, great advice. So 1031s in the market that we're in today are a lot more common since the market's ramped up. All of a sudden, uh, a lot of investors have experienced a lot of appreciation in their properties. Uh-huh. And you also have yep. the baby boomers that are getting to a place in time where they may have been active investors in the past and had no problem managing their own properties or their own portfolio. And now they're getting to a mm-hmm. place where it's like, hey, you know what? I'd like to take a more passive role, but I also don't want to deal with any tax burden and transitioning these properties into a different asset mm-hmm. that may be a little bit less of a management. The question that comes to mind that you might be able to answer for us, which is fairly common strategy for investors that are looking to go more passive is to invest into a syndication. Syndications Mm -hmm. are a pretty hot topic and it's one that we cover on our podcast quite a bit and have a lot of guests that are in the syndication space. And so the question Mm -hmm. that I would ask is, can you 1031 from an existing investment property into a syndication? Yes. There are just specific ways in which you need to participate. And so it often precludes many of the syndications out there. So there are two common types of syndications that are geared towards 1031 investors. One is the type that we deal in, which is tenants in common, where essentially we're taking commercial net lease properties, you know, like say a Walgreens is what I always use as the example, a Walgreens, and we make that available with 100,000 minimum investment so that the investor can take advantage of the long-term corporate guaranteed net lease. So that's one. There's also the Delaware Statutory Trust, which has become popular, which is essentially a trust that owns real estate, and you can 1031 into that trust. Outside of that, most syndications are going to be you know, an LLC set up, and, and it typically doesn't work that well with, with 1031 money. I had a client I was working with this year that sold a hotel here in the state. And he was really desirous to jump in on this project that was going to be a senior living facility. And he assured me over and over that, you know, he brought up that it was 1031 money. And they're like, oh, yeah, we deal with 1031 people all the time. And I gave him a couple very just pinpoint questions to ask the developer because I knew that it it wasn't going to work. And I kept telling him, and he kept, oh, no, they work with 1031. Don't worry about it. And then when it came down to it, he finally asked the questions, you know, once they'd been courting for some time the questions that I had asked him to propose and found out very quickly that they wouldn't be able to be as flexible and accommodate uh, what he would need to satisfy his exchange, what ultimately is tenants in common ownership. So you you can't 1031 into shares in an LLC or anything like that has to be, you know, that needed interest. Gotcha. So he essentially would need to invest alongside the LLC as tenants in common 
which usually doesn't work for most developers, doesn't work for most lenders. So outside of these tick properties and DSTs, the answer is usually no. It can definitely be done, but it would take a little bit more flexibility on the syndicators. Well, and and generally that's going to be determined by the syndicator and the general partnership up front, whether or not that's a possibility. And in most of the syndications that you see going on, especially in the apartment space, they're going to be held in an LLC, generally not set up for tenants in common. That sort of leads into sort of the back half of your business model, which is obviously providing the advisory services for 1031 exchange up front, but also providing a replacement option for investors that are at a place in life where they want to take a very passive role. And you touched on that briefly, maybe in the last minute or two that we have left, maybe just dive into a little bit more about that. And just so if someone was interested in exploring that further, they would have something to go off of. Yeah. So as far as a true passive 1031 investment, there's three ways. There's the tenants in common, DST, and then if you have enough proceeds, you can get net lease commercial property. So we're unique in that we we deal in all three. Otherwise, in normal situations, you would be talking to multiple individuals to explore those options. So again, we try to say, hey, we understand what the landscape looks like. We know what's out there. We can help you understand what's available. And furthermore, what's most suitable for your specific needs. So we'll broker the deals that are out there as well as sponsor our own tick deals with the idea that there are those people, you know, one client we've dealt with, she had 80 doors five years ago. She had 65 doors at the beginning of this year and she's tired, <laughs> you know, right. she's getting up in age. And in my first couple conversations, she was fixing sprinklers and painting and she's, you know, got some years on her. And so she's ready. She's been a landlord since the first day she got married. Her and her husband each had their own homes and she wants to wind things down. And so these are the type of products because another important point about 1031 exchanges is some people will think, oh, I'm not going to 1031 exchange because I'm going to have to pay the tax anyway. And it's actually cheaper for me right now to pay the tax than it will be down the road. And it's not necessarily the case. You can actually continue to 1031 exchange until you pass and your heirs will inherit the property at a stepped up cost basis, which means that capital gains will be forgiven indefinitely. And so the common tactic is you you utilize the 1031 exchange, you are an active investor, you transition towards more passive products, and then after that, your heirs can inherit at a stepped up basis, you don't pay the tax, and they can sell and do what they want at that point. Great explanation. Well, Nate, I appreciate you coming on and providing a little bit different perspective as it relates to 1031 exchanges and your role um, in that process. Um, With the time that we have left here, sort of parting thoughts, what are the basic process that someone should go through in trying to explore if a 1031 exchange is right for them, especially if they want to engage with you and, and you guys over there at 1031 Exchange Place? Really, it comes down to, and this is for agents or investors alike, if you're selling anything other than your primary residence, it should at least be considered. It doesn't mean what you're doing is going to qualify, but you at least need to consider the 1031 exchange. Because if you have a gain, if you've been taking depreciation on any income, there's going to be a tax that's due unless you do an exchange. And so my biggest words would be, at least consider the exchange anytime you're selling real estate that you're not living in. And then at least you can make an educated decision and and know what your options are would be my first thing. 
And something I forgot to mention about, you know, as far as the tips and whatnot that we do, we work with agents every day and pay agents a referral fee on business that's referred to. So we work a lot through real estate agents and being supplemental to their services. And so the other thing I would say is we're not here to compete with you. We're here to, to be a resource. We understand that agents always, you know, aren't always interfacing with 10 through exchanges a lot. So whether it's on the replacement property side, whether it's 10 through exchanges, we're here to be a resource. You know, we get calls every day where people just ask questions. Like, thank you so much for taking the time. You didn't have to do that because they recognize that they're maybe not a client now, but we're happy to do it. We're advocates for 1031 exchanges and we're here to, to kind of be a resource to the community. Great. Well, Nate, thanks for coming on, shedding a different perspective, a new light on the 1031 exchange process. How can people get in touch with you if they have more questions about their specific situation? You can call us. Our 1-800 number is easy to remember, 1-800-USA-1031. That's 1-800-872-1031. You can email me, easy to remember, either nate at 1031ex.com. And obviously our website is just 1031ex.com. So all good ways to get hold of us. Great. We'll have all that info in the show notes. Again, Nate, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. And uh, look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, thanks for listening in today. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Please hit that subscribe button or leave us a quick review. Also, don't hesitate to reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, or at apartmentinvestingjourney.com. See you next week.